I'm just rejoicing what God's doing here. Uh, God's given you a wonderful church, a great spirit, people coming to Christ, joining the church. I think the greatest days are ahead, and I'm praying for you, and I deeply need your prayers. I, uh, if you would do one thing for me, I was going to ask you tonight to do it, so your preacher beat me to it, and I thank you for it. And that is pray for me, pray for our family, and the work God has given us to do week after week, try and encourage churches and help pastors and preach the gospel. Next Sunday, God helping me, I'll start a revival meeting in Brooklyn, New York. How many of you know New Yorkers need Christ? Yes. And so uh, pray for us and just uh, moving from place to place. But I've enjoyed my time here. It's been very refreshing. And I want to thank you. So many kindnesses shown to me. This is the only church I've ever been in in all these years, the only church I've ever been in, where they brought me Cuban coffee right before I got up to preach. I like that. I like it a lot. I'm, I'm a... Uh, I may start telling churches I need Cuban coffee right before the meeting if possible. Just can't find it everywhere, you know. But I've enjoyed every part of this meeting and the fellowship together has been wonderful. The music's been great. Uh, this men's group did good tonight, didn't they? Uh, I, I did notice that the choir, it didn't look nearly as nice after the ladies left, but it did sound good, fellas. I'd like to take you on the road with me full time. It was wonderful. And, of course, I love your pastor, and I thank God for him. The Lord's given you a faithful shepherd here. And I'm praying for him and for his wife and their family. And just grateful God has brought them. You know, Brother Dana, I was thinking when you were talking a moment ago about the college days, that seems like another lifetime ago. Uh, but Pastor Odom was in school with us at the same time. And it's ironic, isn't it? Here are the two of you both pastoring in this area, and I'm here to preach. And so pretty interesting to see what the Lord has done through the years. And it's just great to have friends in the ministry. And I know some of you are joining us tonight, and sure is good to see you. Well, let's open the Word of God together, would you please, to the Psalms. And I want you to find two places tonight. Some of you say, uh-oh, he's preaching two sermons. Lord, deliver us. But I want you to find Psalm 51. That should be very familiar to you because we've been there for the last three days. And then I want you to find Psalm 32, which is where we're going to tonight. Now, how many of you have been here for all the meetings? Would you raise your hand? Oh, that's great. Thank you for your faithfulness. We began the other night in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So we've covered some ground, haven't we? And in 2 Samuel 12, we got the, the setting behind the story, and that was David's sin. And, of course, the Lord's message to him, Thou art the man. When you come to Psalm 51, you find David's confession of that sin. And it is a psalm of confession. He's getting right with the Lord. And may I just say this tonight? You don't get right with the Lord once. You get right with the Lord over and over and over again. Because we all have a sin nature. and We all have that bent that is away from God. Uh, people get the idea that repentance is an event. I want to tell you that repentance is a way of life. I have done more repenting since I got saved than I did when I got saved. Because the more you come to know God, the more the Lord tends to show you the things in your life that do not honor Him. So I want to challenge you. Now, we've had a lot of getting right this week, and there's been a lot of people with broken hearts seeking the Lord and saying, I want to be right with God. But I want to challenge you, don't let that spirit end now. Let that become a way of life for you. I bring you to Psalm 51 because I want you to see one thing. We've been here four times already. Look, isn't it amazing? You never exhaust Scripture. Do you know why you never exhaust Scripture? Because you can't exhaust an infinite God. There's no end to God, so there's no end to the unsearchable riches in Jesus Christ. 
That's why you can go back to familiar text over and over, and it is just perennially fresh. So look at Psalm 51. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. And I want you to take your pen, if you've not done this already, and I want you to mark, not once, but twice in verse 17, the word broken. Now, why would he say it twice, back to back? He says, a broken spirit, and then he says, a broken and a contrite heart. If I might say it this way, it is doubly broken. Do you know, circumstances may break you, but you are only doubly broken when you get in the presence of a holy God. People may break your heart. How many of you know somebody can break your heart? But listen to me. You are not truly broken until you bring your sinful self into the throne room of heaven and in the light of a holy God realize how desperately you need him. So in Psalm 51 verse 17 We have a double brokenness. Now, with that in mind, go back with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, beginning in verse 1, we read this word. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I want to stop right there and say amen to that. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Would you do this? Would you take your pen and mark in verse 1 the word blessed, and in verse 2 the word blessed? Watch it, please. In Psalm 51, there is a double brokenness, but in Psalm 32, there is a double blessing. Now, why is this important? Because the chronological order of these psalms is that Psalm 51 comes first. And Psalm 32 is the psalm that David penned after his time of repentance and restoration and reconciliation. Did you notice the different tone, even the way Psalm 32 starts? He he doesn't start down here in the valley. Why? Because, look, when you've gotten right with the Lord, you don't have to bemoan your past sins anymore. You've gotten past your past. That's under the blood of Jesus. So when you come to Psalm 32, he begins on the mountain, the mountain, if I might say it, of great blessing. By the way, did you know that the word that Jesus used in the New Testament when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the meek. Remember all the blesseds that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount? Did you know that the word that Jesus used for blessed in the New Testament was literally the word for blessing, blessing. Literally, it was a word for, you ready? Double blessing. I love this. Listen to me. My God, the God of the Bible, is not just the God of blessing. He is the God of double blessing. He doesn't just give enough grace to endure. No, He gives you enough grace to enjoy. He doesn't just give you enough to get by and say, well, we got past that, thank God. No, no, friend. He makes you more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And so the way to double blessing is this double brokenness. Now let me show you some things because we're going to walk through Psalm 32 tonight as a, if I might use it this way, a divine exclamation point on our study. Psalm 32 is the rest of the story. Anybody remember the old radio commentator Paul Harvey? I loved Paul Harvey. 
Nobody could tell a story like he could. He had that great dramatic way of telling. And then at some point he'd give that great pause and he would say, and now for the rest of the story. Well, Psalm 32 is the rest of David's story. How many of you are glad that your story doesn't end with your failure? Wait a minute. It not only doesn't end with your failure, it doesn't even just end with God's forgiveness. No, when God forgives you, that's a new beginning. Listen to me. For the child of God, there's always a future. And with the Lord, it's always a bright future. And so look at Psalm 32. There's a little title here. It says, a psalm of David. And then there's a strange little word. How many of you see the strange little word? Mashkel. Would you circle that in your Bible? Because this is a title given Attached to this particular psalm, did you know there are 12 mashkel psalms in the book of Psalms? 12 of them. And the word mashkel is a fascinating word. It literally means instruction. So we're going to school tonight. I'm sorry for all you young people that have been in school all day today. We're going to the Lord's classroom. This is an instruction psalm. And some people have said, well, David's about to give some instruction. Because remember what he said. He said, when I get right with the Lord, then I'll teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I think that's true. But don't miss this, please. The real teacher in Psalm 32 is not David. The real teacher is the Lord Jesus. How many of you want Jesus to teach you something tonight? So as you come to Psalm 32, you ought to come to Psalm 32 saying, Lord, I want the blessing, blessing. And, Lord, I want you to teach me whatever I need to receive it. I was thinking and studying earlier today, how do the Psalms begin? Anybody remember Psalm 1? What's the first word of Psalm 1? That's exactly right. Remember, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man. Watch this. When the Psalms opens, God shows you the way to the blessing. Oh, but praise the Lord for this. Psalm 32 shows you the way back to the blessing. How many of you know you've messed a lot of things up? You got any blots on your story? So do I. Join the club. Get in line. Every blot on my story I put there and every blessing in my story Jesus put there. And I love the fact that God not only makes a way for us to have the blessing, but he makes a way when you've been away from God that you can not only come back into the blessing, but you can go into greater blessing than you've ever known in your entire life. And so with that in mind, let's read the psalm. Look at verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. 
Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. I want you to take your pen and do something tonight. Did you notice God's emphasis in the psalm? Now, there's lots of beautiful things, and we'll walk through the verses in a moment, but do this. In verse 5, would you mark this little expression, thou forgavest? Are you forgiven? I said, are you forgiven? Are you glad you're forgiven? Don't ever get over that. Don't ever forget what it was like to be lost. Don't ever forget what it was like to be away from God. Don't ever forget how merciful and good and gracious God has been to you. Praise the Lord. Thou forgavest. Then come down with me, please, to verse 7 and mark, Thou art. Thou art my hiding place. And then mark in verse 7, Thou shalt. Preserve me from trouble. And again, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Look at verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Anybody noticing anything? Look at verse number 5. Thou forgavest. That's in the past. Verse 7. Thou art. What is that? That's in the present. Thou shalt. Thou shalt. I will. I will. What's that? That's in the future. Speaking tonight on yesterday, today, tomorrow. As I look at my life, the yesterdays to this point, I must stand before you tonight as a man who has been broken and blessed to say, God has been very good to me. We all have things in our past. Everybody's got a past. Sometimes people say to me, well, you know, preacher, I got a past. Really? Everybody's got a past. And everything in your past is not all it ought to be, but I want you to know God has always been very good to us. That's yesterday. As I look at my today, I marvel that God has let me live this day. Not only has God let me live this day, the Lord has shown me fresh mercy today. I marvel that I that I get to serve the Lord in any way, that I get to do anything for Him. I remember you, we were talking, driving over, your pastor said to me, isn't it amazing that we get to serve the Lord? Isn't it amazing that we get to be in the ministry? And I said, it is amazing. And by the way, if you ever forget that or you ever lose the wonder of that, something's wrong with you. I remember one night preaching in a, in a tent meeting in eastern Tennessee years and years ago. And I must be very frank with you and tell you, I was not right with God that night. No look at me, pious, because preachers get out of sorts with the Lord too, you know. And I preached my sermon, and I wasn't right with the Lord. I really wasn't right with the Lord. God knew it, and I knew it. Nobody else knew it, but God and I knew it. And when I came to the end of the message, the most amazing thing happened. God moved in. People got saved that night. People got right with the Lord that night. <laughs> there were people broken before God, rejoicing in the Lord. And it was sweet. It was really amazing. And frankly, I stood on the platform watching it all happen, and I felt very much like a spectator and not a participant at all. Because remember, me, I, the preacher, wasn't where I should have been with the Lord. When I was done that night, I got in the car by myself, and I was driving back to the hotel where I was staying. And I out loud, I just said to the Lord, because I was just overwhelmed with it, I just said to the Lord, Lord, I have no idea how you blessed tonight. 
And the Holy Spirit said to me at that moment, oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. He said, how do you think I bless any night? It's always mercy. And then it dawned on me. That when I am at my best, at least what I think my best is, whatever that is, the only reason God blesses any of us is because of mercy. And when I am at my worst, whatever that means in our idea, listen to me, that the only way God can bless is mercy. Listen to me. All of my life to this moment and this very day is a testimony to one thing, and that is the faithfulness of my God. So when I look to tomorrow, why should I think it to be any different? May I ask you, where is God? Is, is God in my past? Is God in my present? Or is God in my future? And the answer is all of the above. You see, God is actually not in time. Did you know that? Now, this is going to blow your mind. You ready for this? Did you know God is not in time? Time is in God. See, God's above time. He is the eternal God. He lives in the ever-present now. He holds all of it in the palm of his hand. That's how he can say, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Look, he is A and Z and everything in between. He's in your past, your present, and your future simultaneously. Somebody says, that's mind-boggling. Well, that's because we are peons and he is a great God. We have little pea brains, finite beings we are, but he is the infinite, eternal, and a very good God. And that's how he can say in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and what? For not just tomorrow, but in all the tomorrows. And when there are no more tomorrows, when tomorrow has evaporated into one endless eternal day, I want you to know Jesus will still be the same. He always has been holy, he is holy, and he always will be holy. He always has been good, he is good, and he always will be good. He always has been merciful, he is merciful, and he always will be merciful. He always has been the same, and he always will be. Why am I placing this emphasis tonight? For one reason. Because we're coming to the end of a meeting. And the danger at the end of any meeting is we think that's the end. Listen to me. With God, there is no such thing. In fact, I believe what the Lord has done this week is simply set some things in motion that he wants to continue when this meeting is done. You know, Jesus is going to be the same a week from now. I hope we aren't. I hope we keep growing and going on with God and becoming more like Jesus. You see, this meeting we've had, and it's been wonderful. I mean, there's been a, a sweet stirring of the Lord, and, and there's been an obedience among God's people, and I rejoice in the spirit of worship that's come into the place. But you hear me, this could be all there is, or this could be the new beginning of everything else God has in store for this church. And so tonight, I want you to think about yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Walk through the psalm with me and you'll see this emphasis. In the first five verses you get yesterday. And what does he do in the first five verses? We'll look at it. He gives a praise for what God has done. <laughs> do you see the first five verses is all about his past. He's, he's looking back at, at his sinful years and those sinful moments and then how God dealt with him. Notice, please, what God did to the sinner. In verse 3 he says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Did you know sin ages a man? Oh, it sure does. You know why that is? Because sin wears you down. Look, please. Sin does this. 
just sucks the life right out of you. That's how somebody can be so full of life and vibrant and so alive, and you see them again. You say, what happened to that man? And it's not physical. It's not mental or emotional. No, there is something spiritually that's draining the life right out of it. Look at verse number 4. He says, day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. Look, when God's hand of chastening rests on a man, I'm telling you, that's a miserable place to be. Notice the description he gives at the end of verse Number four, he says, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. That's where every prodigal lives. That's where every sinner lives. He lives his whole life in a drought. The prodigal lived in a famine. This David lived in a drought. What is that? That's a dry, barren place. By the way, as long as you're content to live a dry, barren, fruitless life, you can go on living that way. But I want you to know something. I don't want to miss what God has for my life. And so this is what God did to the sinner. But not only that, notice what God did with his sin. Aren't you glad when God deals with us, he deals with us for the purpose of bringing us to himself? I love this. Everybody look up here just a second. God never does this. He does this. Let me review. God never does this. He does this. Look, God's not pushing you away. He's drawing you to himself. He's humbling you. He's restoring you. And so notice what he does to his sin in verse number one he forgives it <laughs> and if that wasn't enough hold on to your seat it gets really good look at the end of verse number one he then covers it it's one thing to forgive it it's another thing to forget it God says we're just going to cover this we're going to cover it can I say to you tonight this is the only cover-up God can bless See, as long as you cover your sin, guess what God does? He exposes it. But the minute you expose it to him, guess what he does? He covers it. Isn't the Lord amazing? When I try to hide my sin and live a secret life, God says, that's never going to work. And so the Lord pulls the veil back. But the moment I bear my soul and sin to God and say, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. Forgive me. At that moment, the Lord says, that's good enough for me. And he covers it with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's not only faithful and just to forgive us, but it also says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I've marked in my Bible in verse 1, covered, and then I've marked at the end of verse 2, no guile. And I've marked in verse 5, not hid. Wait a minute. I thought when something was covered, that meant there was deceit. I thought when something was covered, that meant you were hiding. it. No, no, you missed the point. I'm not the one doing the covering. Jesus is doing the covering. Not me forgetting it. Praise God. It is a righteous Savior forgetting it on his own merit and mercy. And so this is what the Lord does with my sin. Oh, by the way, some of you remember this from Sunday. Do you remember in Psalm 51, there were three different words used for David's disobedience. Anybody remember those three words? Sin, iniquity, and what? Transgression. Look at verse 1 and 2 again. See if the same three words are used. Now think about this. Same three words. There is transgression in verse 1. There is sin in verse 1. And there is iniquity in verse 2. There's the same three words. But watch this. This time, he not only gives the same three words, he gives an answer to all three of them. Notice what God does. Look, please, at verse 1. Your transgression, what's he do? He forgives it. That word literally means he lifts the burden of it. You're weighted down with your sin. God says, let's just remove that. We'll get that right out of the way. He forgives it. You can't remove the barrier, but God can. Look at verse number 1 again. He says, your sin is covered. The word covered here is a sacrificial word. 
It's the idea of ceremonial cleansing. The Lord says, we're going not only to say the sin is gone, we're going to declare you righteous before God. Oh, I love this. God doesn't just deal with the negative. He puts in the positive. Then look at verse number 2. The Bible says he imputes not your iniquity to you. That is a bookkeeping term. Now, this is amazing. Remember what iniquity meant? Crookedness. What do crooks deserve? Jail, right? What do criminals deserve? Punishment. But God says, I tell you what, I'm going to look at your crookedness and your criminal heart, and I'm not even going to put that on your record. Oh, I'm glad that God has washed my record clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what the Lord did. The Lord took all of my demerit and gave me all his merit. Somebody said, that doesn't sound fair. It's not fair. It's called forgiveness. He took everything I should have taken and gave me everything I did not deserve. Look, please. All of my sin was imputed to Jesus at Calvary. And the moment I come to God in simple faith, all of the righteousness of Christ was imputed to my account. This is why I praise God for what he has done in my life. This is not all. There's a second truth I want you to see tonight. Beginning in verse 6, he deals with the present. He moves from praising God for what God has done, don't miss it, to a prayer for what God is doing. Oh, may the Holy Spirit press this to your heart. Look at verse 6. For this Shall everyone that is godly, if I ask you tonight, are you a godly person? Are you a godly man? Are you a godly woman? And we might say, oh, yes, I'm godly. Or, Or someone else may say of you, that's a godly person. But listen, here's the mark of true godliness. Look at verse number six. Everyone that is godly will pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Do you know what a godly person is? A godly person is a person that is after God. A godly person is a person that discerns when the Lord's doing something in their life and says, I want all that God has for me. Did you know the Lord's come through this place this week and the Lord's come very near many people in this room. But listen to me, he didn't come through just to pass by. He came through so that you would come nearer to him than you've ever been in your Christian life. There are people in this room who've been praying. Some of you have been fasting and praying for the weeks leading up to this meeting. And I say, thank God for that. There's evidence of that in this meeting. But hear me with your heart, every sincere Christian right now, hear me. This is not the time to stop that praying and seeking God. This is the very moment to press further into the holy place with God. You know what I believe? I think lots of revivals start and don't stay. Because we get an entry point where God begins his work and then we close our Bibles and go home and forget all that and say, well, we had a nice meeting. No, friend, this is the time to hunger and thirst after righteousness that you may be filled. This is the time where the heart should pan after the water brooks. This is the time for Moses to say, show me now thy glory that I may know thee. This is the moment for godly people to say, we're going to pray as never before because God is near us right now. Fanny Crosby, blind Fanny Crosby, walking through a prison cell in lower Manhattan. She'd been there to testify and sing on a Sunday afternoon. She couldn't see, of course, but her hearing was impeccable, they said, and she passed a certain, a certain cell door as she walked down the corridor, 
And she heard a man. She said, I knew he wasn't talking to me. He wasn't on eye level. He was down on his knees. She said, I could hear the tone of his words. He was praying. And she said, I heard him say, oh, God, please do not pass me by. Fanny Crosby said, I got home and tossed and turned that night, got out of bed and took pen and piece of paper and wrote that famous hymn, Pass Me Not, Old Gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Hear me now, God passes through churches like this to see if there are those here who hunger and thirst after him. The Lord comes near his people. Do you know what he's looking for? He's looking for some godly people that will say, we're not content with what we've seen in the past. We want everything that God has for us right now. How does it happen? Well, in prayer, we acknowledge that God is near. And by prayer, we draw nigh to God. Look at the rest of the verse. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee. In a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. What's he saying? He's saying here's what most people do. They ignore God until they get desperate. Let this sink in just a moment. You know what the average church member does? They're casual about their faith until they hear the word cancer. They're casual about their faith until their finances bottom out. They're casual about their faith and their prayer life till the family starts breaking up and then suddenly they want to bombard heaven. Let me tell you how you can get your prayers answered on your worst day. Pray every day. Let me tell you how you can be ready when the storms of life come. You live every day in the conscious presence of Almighty God. God is not a past tense God or a future tense God. His name is not I was or I will be. His name is I am. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Look at the next verse, verse 7. Thou art, see the present tense. And Notice what he is. I love this. Thou art my what? Hiding place. In our world today, people are, enamored with panic rooms. You know what I'm talking about? So they have these secret rooms where they can go and they can, they can shelter in place and they can hide from intruders and they can, they can hide when storms come. And by the way, I'm not against that. I'm for it. I just want you to know I found a better panic room than that. His name is Jesus. The righteous runneth into him and is safe, the Bible says. I challenge you, dear friend, right now, right where you are this moment, right now in the present tense, run to Jesus. Come to know Jesus, love Jesus, draw as close to Jesus as you possibly can. Listen to me, church. Don't let this be all. The Lord has so much more for every one of us. And so we move. Praising God for what He has done, to praying for what He is doing, to notice, number three, the prospect of what He will do. How many of you like to see God do much more? Yes? Let's take a church vote. I know evangelists don't call for church votes, but may I call for a church vote? Let's take a church vote. How many members of this church would like to see this church move forward to the glory of God? Would you raise your hand? Okay, watch. Here's how churches move forward, one member at a time. When all the people in the church say, by the grace of God, we're going to move forward in faith and obedience, then guess what? The church moves forward like a mighty army. And notice what God promises to do. Read on. He says in verse 7, 
Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. So he's going to preserve us. I'm thinking of that verse in Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Listen, I'm not able to keep myself from falling, but Jesus is sufficient. He is able to keep me from falling. So pray, O Lord, preserve us and keep us. Let's pray a hedge around this church. Let's pray a hedge around your family. Let's pray a hedge around our thought life. Let's not let the devil creep in anywhere. Doesn't take much room for a snake to slither into the garden, does it? And that's what Satan is, that old serpent, the devil. And so we pray, Lord, preserve us. But that's not all. Read on. Look at the end of verse 7. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. So he's not only going to preserve us from trouble, he's going to protect us. I like this. He's going to compass us about the compass. Look, please. Everybody look. He's going to circle us around. In other words, it doesn't matter which direction I look. Somebody said, everywhere I look, there's trouble. No, everywhere you look, there's Jesus. Somebody said, everywhere I look, the devil's after me. No, no, everywhere you look, Christ stands with raised, nail-pierced hands pleading your case. Begin to see the Lord protecting you at every hand. He repeats it in verse 10. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall, there's that word again, compass him about. On every hand, he's preserving us. On every hand, he's protecting us. And then read on. Look at verse 8. I will. Anybody notice anything strange about verse 8? The person doing the talking changed. Look at verse, I love this. Look, you start talking to God, he'll talk back. In verse Number seven, the psalmist David says, Thou art, thou shalt, thou shalt. Then God speaks up. Don't you love it when the Lord butts into the conversation? And the Lord says, I will. I will. What will you do, Lord? I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. How many of you would like God to show you the next step for you on your journey? All right, God says he will do that. So watch. He'll only preserve you and protect you. He'll prod you. He'll prompt you. He'll, he'll show you what is next for you. He'll instruct you about your children. He'll, he'll guide you about your decisions. He'll prepare you for your future. Because remember, he's already there in your tomorrow. Notice how he does it. Look at the end of verse 8. He says, I will guide thee, and this is the interesting expression, with mine eye. What could that mean? I will guide thee with mine eye. How many mamas and daddies are in the room? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know you can give your kids a look and they know the look? Let's reverse it. How many of you children know when mama gives you that look, you know exactly what it means? Oh, yes. Watch. Did you know your heavenly father has a way of looking at you? By the way, his eye is not only on you, his eye is on your future. Remember, God sees everything. Wouldn't you like a God who sees the end from the beginning to make the decisions for you instead of you trying to make them for yourself? I promise you, he's got a better vantage point. He sees a whole lot better than you do. So God says, I got my eye on you, and I got my eye on the future, and I'll guide you. But as I was meditating on this, I came to the most obvious thoughts. You know what it is? He can only guide you with his eye if your eye is on him. You remember that night Peter cursed in square and said, I don't know the man. And the cock crowed. Remember that? The Bible says the Lord turned and looked on Peter. Look, please. And there was a moment where their eyes met. You know what I believe? I believe Jesus was looking at Peter before Peter was looking at Jesus. But when Peter got his head up and got his eye on the Lord, he found out Jesus was already looking at him, and that's all it took to break his heart and show him what he needed to do. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I will guide thee with mine eye. And then come to the last verse, verse 11. He'll provide for us. What shall He provide? Well, everything you need, but mostly joy, because the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength for your tomorrows. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Listen to me. God says, I'm going to give you joy for the journey ahead. I got a good word for you tonight. You ready for it? If you're a Christian, your best days are still ahead of you. Somebody said, you don't know me, preacher. I've lived a long time, and I've got a lot of junk and baggage in my life. I think my best days are behind me. No, you missed it. You missed it entirely. Because the best day you're ever going to live is the day you see Jesus face to face, and that day's still ahead of you, which means we all got an awful lot to look forward to. I don't believe everything Augustine believed and wouldn't endorse everything that he taught. But Augustine, that theologian of a bygone generation, said that Psalm 32 was his favorite psalm. When he was lying on his deathbed, he gave them the strangest request. He asked them to come in and write Psalm 32 on the wall of his bedroom next to his bed. And they did it. They wrote all of Psalm 32, this psalm we've just studied, on the wall of his deathbed. And they said, Augustine, why do you want that? And he said, because as I'm dying, I want to meditate on what God says in this psalm. You know what might be good for us? It might be good if we spend a little time meditating on this psalm ourselves. You see, Psalm 32 is not just the psalm of instruction. It's the psalm of meditation. And I leave you with this thought. Did you notice the simple little word that was found three times in the psalm? It was not used once in Psalm 51, but it's found three times in Psalm 32. It is a word that is uniquely reserved for the Psalms. Anybody know what word it is? That's the word. Mark it in your Bible. Notice in verse 5, the last word is the word what? Selah. The last word of verse 7 is the word what? Selah. Go back up to verse number 4. The last word of verse 4 is what? Selah. Three times God says, let's push the pause button. You know, we're so stinking, everlasting, busy, and distracted. Sometimes we just need to stop long enough to think about what God has done for us, what He is doing for us, and what He wants to do for us. You're yesterday, you're today, and you're tomorrow. I was looking at these three selahs today. Look at them. In verse 4, the first selah makes you think about your sin. Sometimes you've got to go back to the past and think about what a wretched, rotten, dirty sinner you really were. It's good for you to humble you and never forget how good God has been. God doesn't stop there. Look at verse number 5. The second selah makes you think about your Savior, the one who forgave the iniquity of your sin. Praise God. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. My sin was great, but God is greater than all. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The third selah in verse number 7 makes you think about your song. And what's your song? Your song is the song of deliverance. It's a song of praise and worship to God. Watch this, please. Your sin is your past. Your Savior is always in the present tense. And your song is what will give you strength to carry you through your tomorrows. Everything you need, you find in God. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Our Father, I thank you tonight for your goodness. Your goodness to me, your goodness to all of us. We pause now, we praise you and bless you. Wonderful, Lord, you're wonderful. 
unworthy, undone, unclean, undeserving sinners, Lord. That's what I am. Thank you, Jesus. And thank you that you are very present. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. How many of you know you've been born again? You've taken Jesus as your Savior, and if you died now, you're certain you're going to heaven and you're ready to meet God. Would you raise your hand as high in there as you can? Keep it up a moment. You say, I know it, preacher. No doubt about it. That's settled. Thank you. You may lower your hands. May I ask? I'm not going to embarrass you. Who among us tonight could not raise your hand just now? And you'd be honest now and say, preacher, I don't know for sure. I believe in God, but I don't know for sure that my sins are forgiven and that I have that kind of relationship with God. But I know this, I, I don't want to miss heaven and I don't want to go to hell and I don't want to live and die without God. Preacher, I need to get that settled. I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'm sure I need to be. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand up in the air with mine quickly? Just long enough for me to see it. Thank you. I see you. Who else? Pray for me. That's what I need. I need the Lord. If you just raised your hand, there's nobody in this room looking but this preacher. If you just raised your hand, I want you to lift your head and look at me just a moment, would you? I want to tell you something. I don't know you, but God loves you. I'm traveling across this country preaching the Bible for one reason. I want everybody to know Jesus. He changed my life. He changed my life. From the inside out, do you believe Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? I'm going to give you some good news then. If you believe that and you'd be willing to trust him by faith from your heart and say that to the Lord and ask him to be your Savior, he promises in this book that he would hear that prayer and forgive your sin and come live in your life. He promises he'd take you to heaven when you die. Is that what you want, son? And here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to embarrass you, and I give you my word. I'm not going to ask you to give some speech. In a minute, I'm about to ask all these Christians to come, and we're going to have a prayer together to close this meeting. But I want somebody to show you from the Bible how you can be sure when you leave here tonight you're really a Christian. That's what you want? Here's what I want. I'm going to ask the pastor to bring his Bible and come right here. I want you to get out of your seat and meet the pastor right here and let him sit down and show you from the Bible how to have your sins forgiven. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. Anybody else? You say, I need Jesus I need my sins forgiven. I need, I need eternal life. You come. Let somebody show you how you can be saved and know it. May I ask this? Is there somebody here tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm a Christian, but I'm backslidden on God. I'm away from God. I'm not where I need to be with the Lord. There's things in my life that need to be confessed and forsaken and made right. Preacher, that's me as a Christian. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand in the air with mine? you say, that's me. God bless you, dear ones. God bless you. If you just raised your hand, would you look at me right now? I want you to know that's why God has you here in this meeting tonight. I'm going to ask others to come and pray, but would you get out of your seat and lead the charge to this altar and come tell God? Wonderful. And some of your men here from the church, I know, would like to come pray with you, probably encourage these fellows. It's wonderful. Amen. Anybody else who say, I'm a Christian, but I need to make some things personally right with the Lord tonight? Amen. If you're in the altar and you want somebody to come pray with you, would you just raise your hand? If you need somebody to pray with you, just raise your hand. We'll know who you are. God bless you, fellas. This is the way we're going to end the meeting tonight. I want to end this revival meeting not in preaching but in praying. I think the most important thing we do is talk to God. 
See, when we pray, God really speaks. And when we pray, God seals things in our hearts. So I want to speak to every believer in this room. How many Christians in this room would say, Preacher, God has been good to me in my past, and I believe the Lord's with me now, but I truly want my tomorrows, all of them, to be given to God, and I want everything God has for me in my future. Would you lift your hand toward heaven? you say, I really want that. God bless you. And here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I'm going to ask every one of you that are physically able. Now, if you're not physically able to come, you pray where you are. The Lord understands that, and so do we. But if you're physically able... I'm going to ask you to leave your seat and come find a place in this altar. If you want to get someone to pray with you, wonderful. If you want to pray by yourself, that's wonderful too. But right now, quickly and quietly, as she begins to play, I'm going to ask you to leave your place and come, would you, without any hesitation. God's spoken to us this week. He's ministered to us. He's instructed us. Now let's talk to Him about that. Let's make a complete surrender of ourselves to God. And let's say to the Lord, Lord, we want it all, everything that you have for us. He says in verse 9, don't be like that horse and mule that have no understanding. Don't be stubborn. Yield to the Lord. Now I'm going to be quiet for a few moments and I just want you to pray. I'm going to ask you not to go back to your seat. You just take your time. Let's not get in any hurry. Talk to God from your heart. Now in the stillness and quietness of this moment with no noise but people praying, I want to give you two or three things to pray about right where you are, please. First, would you pray for your family, everybody? Just pray for your family. Let's make it personal. Pray for those you love most on earth that God will work in them. Oh, Lord, may our families be brought to God. May not one member of those we love be lost. And even our families, Lord, that are in the church, bring them nearer to God than they've ever been. Would you pray for your church family right now? Everybody, pray for your church family. Let's ask the Lord to strengthen our church. The Lord has so much for you. Would you pray right now for your pastor, for his wife, my name? Pray that God would give them wisdom and peace and strength. Pray that they would have the joy of the Lord in a fresh way as they labor. 
pray for souls to be saved. Would you do that, church? We've seen souls saved this week to God that are glory. But let's pray that there'll be a great increase of that and that this year would be a year of harvest. Oh, Lord, help us keep sowing and watering. We pray, oh, God of increase, that you will give the increase. Lord, build your church in this place in a way that is beyond the ordinary. You said, Lord, you're able to do exceeding abundantly above what we've asked or thought. So, Lord, stretch our faith and increase our expectation. And Dear Lord God, forgive us of our littleness. May we see the great and mighty things we know not. Father, touch this pastor. May he have a fresh anointing from God to shepherd this flock as he leads and feeds. Bless his wife and their children and grandchildren. Father, put a hedge around this congregation. Keep the devil out of this place, Lord, and keep the flesh out of the way. There's been liberty here this week, Lord. I thank you for that. You said where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. May that continue and may it increase, Lord. Oh, God, do what only you can do. Before we close our prayer, I think an appropriate way for us to end would not be in asking the Lord for anything. It would be in praising him and just worshiping him. Would you take a moment and just thank him for his goodness? Give him glory for what he's done in your heart. He is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. May there be such an abundance of joy in this church. People in this community and those who know the members of this church will know the Lord is among them. We praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you look at me a moment? On your way back to your seat, I want to play through it. On your way back to your seat, I'm going to ask everybody to tell somebody one thing God's taught you this week. Ready? Go right now. Tell somebody one thing God's taught you this week from the Bible. Would you look this way just for a moment? It was Adoniram Judson, the great missionary to Burma, that said the future here is as bright as the promises of God. And I want you to know I believe the future here in your church and the Lord's work in this place is just as bright as the promises of God. Claim the promises. See what God will do. And I, I rejoice with you.
I thank you again for your kindness to me, your patience with me in listening, preaching, and responding to the Word of God. A few of our gospel tracks I left on the two tables going out either door. If you didn't get one of those on Sunday and you want one, I hope you'll get one. And it has our website on it and our podcast and all the contact information and some resources that may be a help. This week on our website, there's a free